team hosts North Texas at Allegiant Stadium Saturday at 1130 on ESPN Las Vegas. 1100 AM and 100.9 FM KWWN Las Vegas. Let's go! The Football Frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Frenzy's coming up. You know, I just wanted to follow up for a second on the Robert Sarver thing. And again, we're in a world now where no one really reads stories very deeply. But on Sarver, when you read the details of what he got suspended for and what he was saying and how he was acting, I mean, his behavior on women was gross. Now, I know we have a portion of the audience who have now been brainwashed where they hear stuff like this and they're like, wokeism. I just want you to put yourself in a position of your sister, your wife, your girlfriend going to a workplace like that where a guy is talking about his dong size, sexual acts, and other lewd behavior, right, which can be intimidating. It makes people uncomfortable. And say to yourself, you know what? I'd be cool with that with my wife. You know what? Deal with it. Why does she have to get woke? Um, Because enough's enough. And the other thing is, as a guy, and I've been saying this for years now. I'm a broken record on this. You know, I don't want to be looped in with JOs like this. Yeah. Where, oh, all guys are like that. No, not all guys are locker room guys. Not all guys have the inability to actually speak to women with respect. It'd be like you know, working at a place where a guy's walking up to your coworker and talking about, hey, I'd like to see you eat a hot dog. Or a, you know, a coworker takes your phone because he's got to work on it and starts looking at it and then sees a picture of your wife and tries to zoom in on your wife and then sees you looking and then quickly scrolls away. Like, bro, what are you doing? I'm going to knock you out. What are you doing? And, and unfortunately... There are too many guys like that still in the workplace giving the rest of us a bad name, and it's not freaking acceptable. And especially in Sarver's case, you want to work for someone like that? If you're Chris Paul, you're on the Mercury. You're in the front office. You want to be around that work environment? You know how stressful work is for most people, and most people don't even get to do what they want, what they love, and you have to go to work, and you have a boss who's just a jerk doing that to you? Work sucks for the most part. And to wake up each morning, and you're like, what is he going to do today? That blows. That's not being woke. That's let's clean up the workplace of idiots like this. And you hit on, for me, the most important thing, which is all of those things are disgusting. But in an exchange where it's coworker to coworker, you, as a victim, have a little bit more leeway and a little bit more power in an interaction like that, where you can either stick up for yourself, whatever it is. When it's the owner of a multi-million dollar company, essentially – that is doing that to you, you feel powerless in that exchange. What are you going to do? You're going to stand up to that guy in this in front of everybody. You don't feel, you feel like you have any power in a situation and an exchange like that in any way whatsoever. I I I agree, and but here's the thing, Steve. The people out there who disagree with you are going to do one of two things. They're just going to call it wokeism and shut their ears and go na 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 na. Or you know what they're going to do? In the made up situation, they're going to go, my wife, my daughter would never find themselves in that situation. That's weak. It's, it's ridiculous. Frenzy time. <laughs> UNLV plays North Texas this week. Next week, they're at Utah State. Either way, they're going to be motivated, whether they win this weekend or not, because the Utah State game a, a year ago was a nightmare. They were the better team that day against the team that eventually won 
the Mountain West Conference Championship. The game was at Allegiant. Savon Scarver, a local guy, back, you know, returned to kickoff 100 yards. The Rebels just could not defend the pass. They gassed down the stretch, and Logan Bonner beat him. So I think you and I both figured, hey, there's going to be a regression to the mean. Utah State can't win every close game like they did a year ago. Mm-hmm. And so far, it's been a disaster for them. Yeah. they I think they're putting Logan Bonner out there at less than 100%. They barely beat UConn, not a good team. They got smashed. I mean, to everyone, a lot of teams, get smashed by Alabama. Texas didn't. But this is a Utah State team that should have been good enough to move the ball a little bit against Alabama. They couldn't do anything. And then last week, they come home. Weber State's like, whatever, 30 miles away. FCS and as you just signaled smoke them <laughs> the fans at the end of the game and and late in the game were booing they're booing uh boo, booing boogan boogan uh they're booing Logan Bonner Blake Anderson comes out after the game and listen I understand you're emotional and says you know what the fans today show their true colors we know where we stand now you know we'll close ranks and we'll be fine which I like when I see that Blake Anderson has coached way too long to be punching down like that I don't. I'm, I don't think he's punching down. I, I. I think there is something admirable. I think you could have gone about it a different way. There is something admirable in sticking up for your guy to a certain sense. Now, if you are putting him out there where he's less than one hundred percent and he's not fully healthy, then you have some hand in the poor play and the reason why he's playing like that. I would say there's a different way to go about that than doing something like closing ranks and essentially saying you're turning your back on the fan base when you just got there. And, yes, you won a Mountain West title, but you did. You're just kind of new in the area. You should probably handle it a little differently. So I, I, I do like sticking up for a dude, especially given what the fan base did in that instance. You're coming off a Mountain West Conference championship. You shouldn't be booing your team. Yes, you don't like when they lose to Weber State, but you should probably handle that differently as a fan base. You should probably go about sticking up for your guy in a different way. How do you think they're going to react before we move on? How do you think they're going to react? Utah State? I mean, I think they're going to react in that they're not going to be a very good team. I think there was a lot of indications that this team was due for a negative like a negative bounce. When you talk about the close wins that they had, the turnover on defense, a defense that wasn't very good to begin with last year, can we say as well, Like I would say that this is a very fragile team that from a pre- preseason rating standpoint was very overvalued. And now we come into this year and look at what has happened to the first three games that they have played, and you realized that they have been overvalued. So I, I came into this year thinking that they were an underplay when it came to the win total. I thought they were a team that was probably going to find themselves middle to bottom of the standings in terms of the Mountain West, and I think we're kind of heading in that direction. By the way, I wanted to find a tweet from a player on Utah State. And this was a little bit removed from the game. I'll paraphrase. Byron Vaughn's one of their defensive ends, basically said, you want to boo us? Don't come. <laughs> and now there's some chatter in Utah in the Utah State community with uh, the students. They're like, okay, we won't. How in the world? How has this happened? They just won a conference championship game. <laughs> I, That's I, how quickly things can change when a coach comes out and goes after the fans. Yeah. And then a player says, you know what? You don't support us. Don't show up. Yeah. Like I said, you can handle it differently. I think you should stick up for your guys, but there's a way to do it, I th- I would say, coothly, right? <laughs> As opposed to the way that handled by Anderson. And you might shoot yourselves in the boat. Here's the thing, though. At the end of the day, they start winning games, they'll show up. Will they be there for the UNLV game? 
There's no game in between, right. so they're still going to be hot under the collar. Hopefully not for UNLV. <laughs> right. <laughs> Play on somewhat of a neutral. Uh, John slugs this one in the football frenzy. Big blow for Steve's Steelers. Oh, okay. yeah. First of all, they're not my Steelers. They are. And by the way, anyone from the New Jersey, New York area who's a Steelers fan, screw off. You're a quitter. It's Jets or Giants or Eagles or bust. Because we know if you're a Steelers fan, you became a Steelers fan in the 70s and early 80s. So you're a quitter. So cut it out. Um, no, I picked the Steelers to win the division. Yeah, That's different. Steel- yeah, I'm objective. Yeah, they're your team. Well, I don't, I don't have to be correct on a prediction. But, yeah, uh, T.J. Watt, I think, escapes a much worse fate. Like the rest of the year? Yeah, if he yeah. is coming back in four or five weeks. So that's yeah. good news for the Steelers. The, the news, the, the official report from Brooke Pryor, uh, Steelers won't have T.J. Watt for four games. So it does sound like four games, and he'll be back out there. But I'm going to say this. Don't be surprised because this team statistically last year was terrible against the run and in other facets. T.J. Watt put a nice little Band-Aid over a lot of those issues because he's freaking good. And he's freaking good because he gets those impact plays. It is sacks. It is turnovers. Those are the things that he can get. So that really helps put a Band-Aid on a really bad defense. That Benson doesn't break a lot because of he's there. With him not there anymore, just saying. Look out a little bit of uh, how bad this gets. How much, how much do you downgrade him because of an injury to a defensive end? I mean, I would say that a guy like T.J. Watt is worth about a point and a half to a point spread. What are you doing with the game? Because no one will bet the Steelers. Well, you know what? That's not accurate. People uh, are betting the Steelers, but right. the n- number keeps going the other way. Right. So something's going on here. I mean, I it, I think that's just telling you that where the respective money is. The respective money is on the New England Patriots. Patriots are up to as high as two and a half in some spots. You could have laid one early in the week. Is this going to get the freaking three? I mean, it could, but is, is Mac Jones playing? We still have no idea if he's going to play or not. He's dealing with back spasms. There's no indication as to whether or not he's going to be available for this game over the weekend. So that's why I'm kind of surprised. You know, we get a reports that the, the respected money is coming in on New England, and I'm kind of looking around going, I like, what if you're putting respected money on this and Mac Jones isn't going to play, and all of a sudden you're looking at a game that closes pick and you're laying like two, two and a half. Awesome giveaways and promotions all week long at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Now, back to Cofield and Company. Rumfield, out of his shotgun, steps forward, hollers out some instructions. Here comes another blitz. Brumfield is pressured, fires for the end zone, incomplete. There's got to be a flag. Kyle Williams gets thrown to the ground there, and there's no flag. There's got to be a flag on that play. UNLV flagship, Russ and Caleb. Caleb, a former player. And the vast sound crew. Crank it up. This is the music they come out with? What it's is un- this? Unbelievable. Cal fight song? Uh, tonight. This, these are, the, these are, these, this is what happens when you, uh, you get the insurrection. Uh, let's bring in Roxy Bernstein, Pac-12 announcer. Went to Cal. Roxy, how you doing, buddy? Steve, I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, you sound real chipper. Oh, you're, you're good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, and you mentioned my alma mater snuck yes. one out last week, so two and zero heading back to play in front of touchdown Jesus this week. Yeah, let's talk about uh, TG, uh, TD Jesus in a couple of minutes. But first, did you get? I know you're doing another game. Uh, did you get a chance to check in on the uh, Cal UNLV game at all, or at least to watch some of the highlights afterwards? I was able to watch the majority of it because I had an early game. We kicked off what at eleven uh, thirty. Mountain time in Salt Lake City, so 
and I wasn't flying out till late Saturday night, so I was able to watch the majority of the football game, and it was a tight competitive game, a little closer than I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you. Yeah, did you feel good about Cal, and, and you know, if not, you got some Murray points here after watching the Bears in game number two? Yeah, I, I, there's some concerns. I think in the first couple of games, I think there's still a little bit to be desired there. I didn't like the offensive line play from Cal. I think that's got to get better. Um, and last week, the problem for Cal, for me, guys, was they just couldn't finish drive. They moved the ball okay, but settled for a couple of field goals. They had one bad interception. And I just think that they need to do a better job of executing when they have opportunities to get into the end zone. And that's got to be better this week. I know Notre Dame's 0-2, but it's still Notre Dame, and they still have dudes. Roxy, when it comes to Cal going forward and their record, do you put the asterisk on the left side of the record or the right side of the record after that failed uh, P.I. that was not called at the end of that game? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't see a pass interference. So. You know, it's funny, in the stadium – uh, a home crowd kind of knows that something bad could be on the way. And then, like, I felt it, like, it got real quiet. And then right after, like, oh, we got away with that one. Okay, we're good. You know, there's been some games over the years where I'm just going, huh? You know, and you just kind of had to hang on for dear life. And, look, Cal was their own worst enemy, I thought, in that game. They opened the door for UNLV. And Cal got off to a great start, right? They're up 14 nothing. And you're thinking, okay, things are nice for the Golden Bears, but then they kind of fizzled and were lucky to get out of there with the win the way the, the way that game finished. Look, I, I think UNLV just ran out of time. If they keep playing, yeah, you know, if there's five more minutes on the clock, the Rebels might win that one. Uh, UNLV probably needed to run the ball a little earlier in the game because that's really what got them back into it in the second half. I don't want to be old creepo, but I will say that, uh, one, this isn't a creepy part. Um that's a cool campus. Cal is a really cool school, um, and it's not all nerds because uh, when we drove in, uh, that's a real college atmosphere, and uh, the co-eds were out there, so I'll just say it's not all about studying. There was some partying going on. Well, it also is the number one public university in the world, so that also <laughs> plays into it academically. But sure, sure. look, I went there, and if I can get in and, and make it through, I, I think other people can too because – you know, I had my fun in college also, and I, I was able to find it in Berkeley, you know? People think, yeah, the library, and that's all it is. As Lee Corso says, not so fast, my friend. <laughs> um, one last thing on Cal uh, in this game against Notre Dame. What do you think they're walking into? I'm trying to figure out, is, is Notre Dame, is this a buzzsaw situation where Notre Dame is going to be pissed, or maybe they're just not that good? I'm wondering if there's some of the truth to that Notre Dame's just not that good, right? And they're going to change a quarterback this week with the injury, which will make it challenging for the Irish. But they're a wounded animal. And if Cal, if Cal can jump out to a good start like they did against UNLV last week, and if, if somehow they can go up a couple of touchdowns early in that game, that's going to make it for awfully uncomfortable feeling around Notre Dame Stadium, right? Because... All of a sudden, the doubt's going to be creeping in. People are going to be getting nervous. It's going to be quiet. That's the thing. If Cal can get off to a quick start this week, that could bode huge for Cal in this football game because then you could get a Notre Dame team that's doubting itself. This is a massive weekend for the Pac-12. We're talking to Pac-12 announcer Roxy Bernstein. A lot of good crossover games, a lot of games against big boys. Uh, the game you're on is a really interesting crossover game because the Mountain West was kind of puffing its chest out 
for the last couple of years results in crossover games. So CSU against Wazoo, um, I wonder how fired up Washington State is going to be for the game after a gigantic road victory at Whiskey, and Colorado State is struggling big time. And keep in mind, Washington State has Oregon looming next week. So you wonder if that this is that trap game that people talk about, right? Because of it's sandwiched in between the Wisconsin and Oregon games. But for Washington State, I think that now after there were some questions about week one when they struggled to get by Idaho, but they come away with a win last week. They still haven't looked really good offensively. I think that's got to change this week against Colorado State. But, and let's face it, Jay Norvell, who left Nevada to go to to Fort Collins in Colorado State. He's trying to build this program. And it's, I was talking to Jay earlier today, actually, getting ready for the game. Guys, they have 59 new players on this Colorado State roster. So it is a huge turnover. It's clearly a rebuilding job for Jay Norvell. And they're going into Pullman, I think, significantly outmanned considering uh, this Washington State team, there were expectations prior to the year, and I don't know if people had many for Colorado State just because it's a complete rebuild job for Jay Norvell. So I wanted to go to USC and Fresno State because I, I, I phrased it like this. I think USC is getting away with murder here in these early games, Roxy. How many teams benefit from this many red zone turnovers? It is incredible. They did it with Rice. They did it with Stanford. And I feel like defensively, one of the big questions we had about them was how weak that could be. We've kind of seen it, but it hasn't cracked. And I feel like it's a pretty big test for them against Hayner and the Fresno State Bulldogs. Look, Stanford was able to move the ball last week. Yep. And they just came up short a couple of trips into the red zone, right? They had the turnover plus uh, – there was another opportunity, a turnover on downs. They couldn't jam it in. So, USC, look, their offense is explosive. And they're right now the chic team, if you will. What They're up to number seven. There's still questions for me about USC. And Caleb Williams is fabulous. Jordan Addison, terrific. They have an embarrassment of riches at receiver. The running backs are really good with Dye and Jones. and But there's questions I still have about them defensively. Um, I know they have three pick sixes in, in the game against Rice, but now they're going to play a seasoned veteran quarterback and a coach in Jeff Tedford who knows what it means to get it done. And this, this is a, a test. And you know Fresno State's a little ticked off going into the Coliseum considering the way they lost the game to Oregon State at home last week. So I think this is a test for USC. And now, all of a sudden, everybody is falling in love with him, patting him on the back. Let's see what happens as the, uh, all of a sudden now there's expectations with USC this week against Fresno State. So there's been uh, – obviously, when we come into the season, there's, we know that U- Utah, USC atop the odds boards. A lot of people consider them the two best teams in the Pac-12. Widely considered that Oregon would probably be the third. But is it actually Washington? It could be. Now, and they haven't been tested yet. Look at their first two opponents, right? Kent State and Portland State. Now, the, the thing that I like is they've looked dominant in those two games. Their offense has looked sharp. Last year was a disaster. They had to fire Jimmy Lake. It was just a, a spiraling, out-of-control train that they couldn't stop, and it was just a turn into a disaster by the end of the year. This year, look, it, it's not... It's not the sexy hire, right? Lincoln Riley was the sexy hire at USC. And even Dan Lanning coming from Georgia was you know, the defensive coordinator with the Dogs when they won the national championship last year. But Kalen DeBoer 
did a fabulous job, as people know, at Fresno State. The way he was able to take over for Jeff Tedford, elevate that program. He's an impressive guy, an impressive coach. And the offense has looked very good with Penix, the quarterback. And I, I want to see them against real competition, though. And that's what they have this weekend against Michigan State. And Michigan State hasn't played anybody either yet. So we're going to learn a lot about both Michigan State and UW this week. But Washington's at home. This is a game the Pac-12 needs. There's a few of them this week that are these crossover games. Like USC can't lose. Oregon need for the conference needs Oregon and Washington to win. I think that helps the national narrative. Is Oregon going to beat BYU? At home, I, I think they do. But, it's, you know, I, I'm not sure where this Oregon team is, to be honest with you. See, because you look at the way they were hammered by Georgia in a quote-unquote neutral site game. It was a Georgia home game. We all know that. But then last week they put up 70 against Eastern Washington, who is a pretty good FCS team, but it's still a level down. This week they're going to get challenged. They're at home. Um BYU is hoping to get a couple of receivers back. I like the quarterback haul that they have. This will be a really good game, and Bo Nix is going to have to make some plays this week. He was disappointing in the opener uh, against Georgia. He rebounded last week. He's got to play well this week for Oregon, who's been tremendous against non-conference opponents at home. You called Utah and Southern Utah, right? Yes, I did. San Diego State in big dog, three-touchdown dog. Does Utah just roll past the Aztecs? Um. I, I think so, but it's, it's similar to USC's situation with Fresno, right? Okay, here's Pac-12 Mountain West, but it's a game that Pac-12 can't lose. And for Utah, I think they corrected a lot of mistakes from the opener. They missed 27 tackles against Florida. That never happens from a Kyle Whittingham team. And it was an adjustment for them defensively. I think they went back to the basics last week. They've ironed some things out, and I think it's a confident team that they've figured it out, especially defensively, considering you lose guys like Sewell and Lloyd to the NFL. The defense, everybody stayed assignment-oriented. That's key to Utah defense. You mentioned, you know, games the uh, conference needs to win. Colorado, frankly, needs to avoid getting blown off the field by Minnesota. Oregon State better be up for the game against Montana State. And then there's a real pain-in-the-ass game of the week. Arizona is facing North Dakota State, and John, I don't think there's a line out on this one, but I'm seeing just speculation that it's basically a pick 'em. That is, I mean, I don't have to say it, but I'm going to. That is a dangerous game for Arizona. That's a game, guys, where whoever made the schedule should be fired. <laughs> right? You don't schedule that game. Right. You just don't do it. Because that's a good football team you're playing that's used to winning. I, I think they've won their last six games against FBS teams. So. That's a, you just don't yeah. schedule that game. And, but that's unfortunately what Arizona did, and now they got to win it. And, look, they, they looked really good, I thought, against San Diego State the opening week. And then Mississippi State was too much for them to handle last week. They struggled. They, they couldn't finish the deal against Mississippi State. They, they, and Jaden Delora was inconsistent last week. That can't happen this week because they know it. Arizona, there's no way they're overlooking North Dakota State because they know how good that team is. Global market opened North Dakota State minus one yeah. and got up yeah. to one and a half. How about that? There you go. On the road at a Pac-12 team. Yeah, that's how good that program is. Roxy, you're awesome, man. Have fun this weekend. We'll be watching. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. There he is, Roxy Bernstein.
I lied there. I'm not going to be watching because I'm going to be doing a game, and you can't watch either. I don't. I don't know why I just lie. It's all right. I, I then I remember the time. I'm like, you know, UNLV starts at noon. It's a two o'clock. I feel bad now. I feel real bad. Let's break down UNLV in North Texas. Uh, John is very concerned about play action, and we got some comments from uh, the coach and the players to uh, John's concerns about play action. Daily happy hour specials from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., including 277 for pint shots and margaritas at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. John Montobles with Steve Cofield. I like to speak in the third person. Busy weekend for you. You got... UNLV sideline duties on radio tomorrow, and then a real rough assignment. Saturday. The, what did I say? You said tomorrow. I thought today. I'm was already, I'm already jumping ahead. Yeah, I did that to Jed when I walked in today. Too. Oops. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. We still have a Friday show to get to. Um, Sunday, you're going to be doing the silver and black after party at Crazy Horse Three. You'll be doing this throughout the season after Raiders home games. John will be there hosting the party from five to eight. The party goes. It's a gentleman's club. It's going to go a lot longer than that. We've got. A couple of tables to give away at Crazy Horse 3. Call our 788 364-1100, 364-1100. Ari will hook you up, depending on how nice you are, with uh, some sort of libation. But it's for him to decide. 364-1100, call our 788. Crazy Horse 3 on Sunday nights. You got free admission for locals. If you got out-of-towners there and they're going to the game, just have them bring the ticket over. They're in free as well. Half price. 50% off beers and cocktails. They've got a parlay card they're doing this year at Crazy Horse 3. John's going to tell you about that when you see him on Sunday. The kitchen, the food, yeah, it's a gentleman's club. Never mind. It's awesome. It is awesome. I've had it in the past. Great pizza, seven different kinds of uh, pizza. Uh, sandwiches, apps, love the uh, oven-roasted wings. Sliders, meatball, the traditional slider. You can get filet steak slider. They've got... Tacos, teriyaki bowl. I'm telling you, the menu is awesome. 33 items on the menu. And uh, this is a place that's up for awards from the local paper for best gentleman's club, best bachelor party, and best place to watch our hometown pro football team. Crazy Horse 3, seven days a week, but especially on Sundays. Get in there after the Raiders game. You'll have a good time. And John will be on the scene with prizes. You stoked? Uh, I am. And actually, so you mentioned the food. Uh, Isabel is going to come with me. At least once or twice. Oh, she, really? She cannot You're wait bringing to your better half. She cannot wait to try the food. Is that right? She looked it up immediately. She's like, they have really good restaurant. Like, they have really good food, right? And I was like, yeah, look up the menu. She didn't have to look it up. Just yep. ask me. I was I've had a lot of it over the years. You probably know it. <laughs> it's, it's excellent. So UNLV is going against North Texas. North Texas is averaging about 238 on the ground. Really good running team. Experienced running team. So you know what they're up against. Um, and with a good running team, you're going to see play action. Here's John asking star linebacker for the Rebels, Austin Ajake, about play action. When you guys talk about defending the run against North Texas, they're also a heavy play action team. So, like, for you, what's that balance in terms of getting aggressive against the run but also not trying to get caught out of position? That's a good question. You know, a lot of times play action is, is used to freeze up the linebackers and kind of get us caught playing the run and then throw the ball over our heads. So it just comes down to playing discipline with our eyes and making sure that, you know, you can tell the play action versus a run sometimes just based on the O-line and, and their pad level. You know, we call it high hats. So um, if we get a high hat read but they're doing play action, we know it's passed because the O-line isn't protecting like a run. 
All right. Can I say I really like that answer? Um, well, first of all, if you notice, um, every once in a while, the vast sound crew gets supplanted by some of our hosts because they like to cut sound. That was a classic Willie Ramirez-like move. Willie will send in clips where he asks a question, and he gets a compliment. And, like, there was absolutely no reason to leave in. That's a good question. But I saw how stoked you were there. It was. You were very stoked. Well, I like to ask questions, and I like to ask questions that aren't the same kind of – It was good. There are times where you listen and watch on press conferences or there you, where you get the same three questions but asked in different ways. Sure. And, and I like, you know, hardcore football stuff, and I want to learn stuff. And they liked it because Arroyo, Arroyo was like, good question. He actually told – what did he say? He says something like, he's like, he's like, do you want the real answer? Because that's actually a really long conversation to be it was, had. It was uh, – unfortunately, it was, it was about a three-minute answer, <laughs> right. so we didn't have time to get it into the show today. Um, but, but in that sense, I thought it was a really good answer in that what, what Ajke is saying is like – and actually, I did not know that about the high hat and reading offense alignment. And if they're going to come up in a pass-blocking set, although it's play action, you kind of understand as a defender, oh, they're actually dropping into a pass-block – but he's running play action. This is probably a pass, so we're gonna we're not gonna get overly aggressive. And a team like this, which I'm sorry, I've looked it up. I cannot find a proper pronunciation of Austin Ons last name. It's your quarterback. Um, over 52 percent by the PFF data of his pass attempts come via play action. They run it a lot. And when you're talking about defending a team like that, you've got to be pretty smart and dedicated to know how to read those things. Just standard control on the sideline. Because the the atmosphere can get you know, kind of fiery, so I I don't want to I don't want to look down and see John going. Because <laughs> that that usually happens. Hat, <laughs> that's at some point, the line uh, the uh, sideline will notice that yeah. it's not going to be a run. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's great. No, but I just th- those are the like the little things we always think about in football, like those those little things. When you're talking about reading the level of an offensive lineman by a guy, and especially a guy like, and that's why I was, I thought it was really cool that we got to talk to Ajikis. He's an interior linebacker. Out of all the guys yep. that potentially get caught out of, out of place on play action plays, he's going to be one of the dudes that's going to be. There's going to be a lot of emphasis on that for him. Well, I know one guy you're going to be watching. I hope you watch Ajikis. I hope you watch the whole defense. But Lael Himare, I talk about him every week. The I'm defensive a, lineman, I'm obsessed. Uh, interior defender. If you go to Pro Football Focus, he is out of like. 550 interior defenders around college football. He's number three in the country by PFF, and he's the number one ranked pass interior defender in the nation. That's how good he's been in the first couple of games. Listen, Idaho State's not great. Cal, I think, is pretty solid, but his play picked up a lot last year, and he became a a full-time player. People just thought he was going to be a pass rusher, and then he got great against the run. His numbers so far are sick. Yep, he's been incredible. And that's why I think, like, that's why I'm so interested in this matchup because it's the little things about play action and defending that and how the Rebels are going to do it. And it's also against a run-heavy team like that who likes, if you look at some of the numbers, they like to run between the tackles quite a bit, how the interior of your your defensive line is going to match up against that. And LEL is a really good job in terms of pass rush and bending pockets on the interior, things like that. But defending the run against a run-heavy team and a play-action-heavy team is going to be very fascinating to watch. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. This traffic report is brought to you by Meineke, where you can get a basic oil change for only $29.95. From 64, McManus missed it. And the Seahawks are going to win this game. It's Cofield and Company. Looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it. One of those things, you look back at it and you say, of course we should go for it. We missed the field goal. But in that situation, we had a plan. Rocky Mountain High. 
And I'll tell you right now, my team has expectations. You know, if I'm a Broncos fan and I lose that way and then I hear the coach saying that, I'm smoking all week, so I'm getting Rocky Mountain high. Is that cheesy? Cheesy segue? It's a little. A little that was my thought process on that whole thing. A little corny. I was like, I want some John Denver. We're talking high. Colorado's all weedy. It's got to be. Uh, it's got to be rough there. The last couple. I'm days. Taking bong rips to the dome <laughs> the entire <laughs> week. That was that was a disastrous way to lose a game. Nick Ferguson's with us, former Bronco, Jet, NFL player, does radio in Denver. Nice enough to join John and Steve here in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, gentlemen. Uh, how about yourself? We're good. Was that too much weed talk? I apologize. <laughs> well, I do live uh, in the Mile High City, so yes, uh, I yes. totally understand. Yes, yes. All right, so what's been the vibe around town after a loss like that with a uh, rookie uh, first-year head coach? Well, it's been uh, rather split here in Denver because we have fans who are ready to uh, jump off the ledge and other fans are saying, hey, step back, come back inside from the ledge because we look at the level of expectations coming into the season. I know we didn't get a chance to see a lot of either offensive starters or defensive starters, but the idea was Russell Wilson was now uh, finally – solved that quarterback enigma that we've had since uh, Peyton Manning donned the uniform. But watch the team go out there and perform the way they did in the first half. Didn't really look exactly the way that we would have liked uh, for the Broncos to look. But they did a good job in the second half. They just were not able to punch it in in the red zone, and that seemed to be a problem for them. So trying to get fans to understand, let's not just focus on the negative things that happened in the game. There were some positive things that happened as well, but you guys know this. When you lose a game, no one cares about what you did well. They want to know, did you get the W, and we didn't. So one of the things that I had a complaint about hacking, we played part of the clip in there, which was the thought that everybody was reacting because of the result. And I didn't really like that because my argument was the process leading up to the result and also the fact that he kept throwing out there, I think they wanted to get to the 42-yard line. That should be your bare minimum, shouldn't it be, Nick? Like not, not, hey, we're trying to get to that 42. It's if we get to the 42, we'll live with it, but we want to get better field position than that. Well, well, yeah, the idea is the closer you get, the percentages say that the odds on that your field goal kicker can make uh, that, that field goal. And, and not to really take anything from Brandon McManus, but – I know there are a lot of coaches that love to use analytics in today's game. To me, sometimes you have to go on your gut feeling. I mean, I played with played for Mike Shanahan, Wade Phillips, Bill Parcells, and a lot of those guys just kind of went on the field of the game. And I think this is just a process of Coach Hackett getting a feel for the game. I know he was trying to trust Brandon McManus, but at the same time, the way I look at it, gentlemen, is that you gave up so much to acquire a quarterback like a Russell Wilson. Give him a shot to pick up the fourth and five. And if he doesn't, we will live with that. That, that is kind of putting things in a basketball frame of mind. That's more of a high percentage shot than kicking a 63-yard field goal because there haven't been too many kickers who've been successful kicking beyond 50 yards in Seattle. So I wouldn't have attempted that. But at the end of the day, hindsight being 2020, Coach Hackett feels differently about that decision. So a lot of people were freaking out in the first half because Gino goes, what was it, 16 to 17? The first, uh, something like that, 17 of 18. Uh, did defensively for Denver, when I have looked at their roster and looked at a lot of the numbers behind their roster, especially defensively, this is a good team. But is it fair to say that Vic Fangio actually got a lot more out of that defense than people really realize and that this is a bit closer to average than one of the best defenses in the NFL? Not true because, and then here's why. When we look at what Vic Fangio was able to do, he had a three-year sample size. 
This is just one game under Jira Evero. And no matter if your team won this week or lost this week, we can't really understand what the season's outlook is going to be based on one game. Now, I'll tell you this, though. That first half wasn't Broncos football. And you heard some of the guys talk about it after the game. They felt as though there were communication issues. And don't forget that starting linebacker Josie Jill did not play in that game because he had a calf injury. And we had Alex Singleton, who was going to be his backup and a special teams guy, manning that Mike linebacker position. So with that element being changed, it changed a lot. But here's a positive that you definitely can take a look at this. Randy Gregory didn't play any of the preseason. He didn't really practice at all during the OTAs and minicamp and training camp. But he went in the game against Seattle, and to me, he was the type of person who I saw in Dallas, and he's the reason why in his play was why the Broncos decided to go out and acquire him. So, once again, we got to look at the positive as though we look at the negatives. But I know in that first half, you look at the Broncos, it's not exactly what you want, but now they have an opportunity to fix things Sunday against the Houston Texans. McFerguson up on Cofield and Company, former NFL player, former Bronco. I know in college it would be a lot more intense uh, the week after a game where both of your running backs fumbled you know, right near the end zone. What do you think it's been like this week in trying to you know, get Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon back on the horse or you know, in the pros, do you just move on? Yeah, I had a chance to talk to uh, Javante yesterday at practice, and that's kind of the, the, the idea. Just kind of move on for, from it because in Javante's case, he ran into Graham Glasgow, who was trying to push back because he said he couldn't hear the play call when Russell checked it. So that wasn't something where Javante has a case of uh, the yips or something like that. In the case of Melvin Gordon, I mean, when he fumbled the ball, obviously everyone here in Denver went crazy because that is something that has become synonymous with Melvin Gordon toting the ball. I didn't really get upset with him because, once again, these things can be fixed. Here's a running back inside the red zone who's trying to fight for the extra yards and push it across and break the plan. We've seen that so many times. You do worry about it as a coach, worry about your guy trying to extend the ball out because defenders are punching and pulling at the ball. So both of those things can be fixed. That's why it was not a big deal. I'm not viewing it as a big deal, and they're not viewing it as a big deal as well. From an offensive attack game plan, and sometimes you just, you know, you take what the game has given you, what do you think of running backs getting 14 targets in the game? Is that a, an issue with confidence in the receivers? So what do you think of that output? No, that, that's just uh, an expansion of where the NFL is going. When, when young running backs come out of college, we're looking for certain things. One, can you step up and block a blitzing linebacker? Also, can you run inside and outside the tackles? But more importantly, can you catch the ball out of the backfield? I mean, this is not Don, this is not Eric Coriel, but we, this is, we're getting a version of it in, in today's NFL because we know it's a level personnel game. Our tight ends are now big wide receivers. Look at Darren Waller, who plays for the Las Vegas Raiders. He's, he's a tight end by position, but let's be totally honest. At Georgia Tech, he played wide receiver. So it's more of a wide open passing game. And if you can get your running back out open in space, matched up with a safety or corner or a linebacker, to me, I like that, that matchup all the time. So that's basically what we're seeing, and we're going to see more of the utilization of running backs in the passing game. Do you see the Broncos just destroying the Texans this weekend? No, I don't see it uh, that way. I know you look at the rosters and you say, okay, well, which team has a better roster? Obviously the Broncos. But when you look at Lovey Smith, that defense is so much better than it was two years ago. 
They can get after uh, the, the quarterback on all three levels. They're aggressive. The only thing about the Texans' defense is they're kind of young in the back end. When you're young, the, the communication, you worry about that somewhat being uh, of an issue. But this is not a game that I'm going to take lightly. Hopefully the Broncos are not taking it lightly and saying, you know, we lost to Seattle. That should have been a W. Now we have Houston at home. That should have been a W because they allowed the Colts to come back. Never take a team for granted because you never know how a team's going to fight back when their back is against the wall. Who do you have tonight, Chargers, Chiefs? I'm going to have to go with the Chiefs, especially after I saw uh, what I saw last week. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, no Tyreek Hill, but he's still able to move the ball down the field. He uh, spread the ball around to several different wide receivers. And to me, five touchdowns, that, that says a lot. Two of those touchdowns went to Clyde edwards Lear, but that still tells me that the Kansas City Chiefs are still the team to beat in the AFC West. So, Nick, I wanted to go in a little different direction with you because I saw you tweeting about this. Um, over the weekend in week one, we saw Soldier Field and whatever the hell that was. Um, yeah. I know you mentioned you, you played out there. So, first, your experience with playing out there. And second, uh, how is an NFL stadium still being handled like this? Even this, the pictures, I don't know if you saw the pictures of the sideline. It was painted crooked. I, it's an embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is definitely an embarrassment because uh, the NFL prides themselves uh, on presenting uh, a great product, right? Both uh, visually and the product on the field from a playing standpoint. But that was uh, awful to see. And I know there were people, you know, on Twitter saying, well, to rent your rain, five inches of rain, what do you expect? I'm thinking, like, look. When you make these and you build these stadiums, you have to figure that you're dealing with inclement weather. I mean, you're right there on Lake Michigan. I mean, it's, it's soldier field for Pete's sake. So, to me, you need to make sure that your ground crew has doing what they're, what they're doing uh, to make sure that they keep the, the liquid off of the field. And I'm not going to put it on the ground crew. It is the construction of the stadium. You have to make sure you have proper drainage because you don't know what type of weather that you're going to get and when you're going to get it. And from a playing standpoint, it was, other than, you know, uh, Philadelphia Stadium, it, I mean, Soldier Field was one of the worst stadiums to play in because that side, once you get later in the season, it comes up, it tears up. One time I was fined about $5,000 from the league for an excessive penalty because they thought I just threw a guy on the ground. I'm like, no, I'm going to kick up return. I engage with the guy, but as soon as I go to plant, turf comes up, I pull him down on the ground. Now, would you believe they didn't give me my five grand back? They gave me 2500 of it, but they didn't give me that whole five grand after they looked at the film and saw that I was right. But that is what you see in Soldier Field, and it is a travesty to know that we are dealing with professional athletes and we are putting them at risk when we put them on the field in conditions like that. Yeah, when your kicker openly tells the media in the offseason uh, that he goes out to public parks in Florida to practice kicking because it's the same type of turf, <laughs> uh, I, I think you got problems. Absolutely. They need to do something about that and do something about it soon. Nick, we appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. There he is, Nick Ferguson, the fan in Denver. We will enjoy the game tonight. I'm looking forward to it. That's not a lie. No. You lied Uh, earlier. I did lie earlier saying that I was going to watch a game when I'm not able to watch a game. I will be watching tonight. Very intense. I don't know if you know this. I never talk about her, but the SO is a Chargers fan. So, very intense. I actually had to give her a little pep talk last night. Intense about losses? Uh, just intense about the game and if things get off to a bad start. I'm just ready, get ready for that. Like a worse sports fan than I am by ten times. Well, you've been hardened by it, molded by it. Well, I, I've, I've also been in the NFL 
my my I've, my soul has been crushed. So I, it's, if if the Jets are ever good again, then maybe I'll get it back. But I just don't get that worked up. But with her now, she's got the quarterback. They have expectations. Like Chiefs get out to a fourteen nothing lead, and she'll start to walk. Like she'll be like, "I'm going upstairs." Like so, I told her last night. I was like, "Calm down. It's a long game. Let's stick with it. Stay in it. Fight through it." The Chargers are a dramatic team. You have a quarterback who brings drama. I don't even know what this means. I don't know why I'm telling the story, but I'm just telling you, it's it's going to be like walking on eggshells. Hardcore sports fans are hard to be around, aren't they, John? I wouldn't know. <laughs> Wait, your wife doesn't feel it from you? She's weird. No, not for me. I don't really get super intense. Really? Later in the season, if we're, if we're in contention in certain contests. Get maybe. the sizzle back, John. Come on.